0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com.
1: Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Um, I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is family feuding. What I've learned from Family Caregivers Unite is that family caregiving um, is for far too many family caregivers and families stressful physically, psychologically, and financially. The physical stress on family caregivers can exhaust them, yet they may still feel that they are not doing enough. The psychological stresses of caring for a family member or family members whose mental health conditions harm their powers of thinking, understanding, and communicating can bring despair to their family caregivers. The financial stress of managing finances spirals upwards when the costs of family caregiving run away with the money, when paying jobs have to be given up, and when concerns arise about safeguarding the family finances against bad people who rob mom and dad. And that, by the way, was the name of an episode we've recently done on Family Caregivers Unite. The physical, psychological, and financial stresses are surely stressful enough to cause family disunity. To discuss this uncomfortable but crucial topic, I'm welcoming Audrey Miller and Dr. Renee Ruta cohn um, Audrey is the founder and managing director of Elder Caring Inc. Uh, Elder Caring is a geriatric care management company that provides consulting services to individuals, families, and corporations across Canada. Um, she's um, a registered social worker, a Canadian-certified rehabilitation counselor, and a Canadian-certified life care planner. She's published numerous articles and is frequently asked to speak on caregiving, health, and aging issues at home and in the workplace. Rennie holds the PhD degree with a specialty in community rehabilitation and disability studies. Her areas of expertise are career development and vocational planning and service delivery. She provides various services, including individual case management, interpersonal counseling, vocational counseling, working with insurers and lawyers, conducting file reviews, preparing future care plans, and supplying expert opinions for their clients. She is the past chairperson of the Education Committee of Ontario Rehabilitation Work Council. She was an examiner for the Ontario College of Certified Social Workers. She chaired the York Seneca Rehabilitation Service Program Advisory Committee, and she was a trustee on the board of the bloorview Macmillan Center. So welcome to the show, Audrey and Renee. Thank you. Now, first question for Audrey. please tell us more about your work as it relates to family caregiving.
3: Absolutely, thank you Gordon. With my roots in rehabilitation, I have been working with differently abled individuals for the last 25 years, along with my colleague Renee, providing case management and life care planning. As well, at that time, watching my mother provide care for my father who had every complication imaginable for diabetes, I knew there had to be a way to offer case management families like my own who were dealing with caregiving issues. My father was 69 when he died, so I know age and disability are not one and the same. I started elder caring in 2004 in order to offer family support in navigating the system, accessing services, and in planning for longer-term needs and to basically make sure the older person and the caregiver were doing as well as they possibly could. I focus on ability rather than disability and provide support for the caregiver and care recipient alike. Just to tell you a little bit about how we work, upon referral, we meet with the older individual to assess their safety, function, while assessing physical, emotional, and cognitive needs, as well as the needs of the caregiver. Based on this home visit, we provide a wellness plan that outlines the needs and the recommended services, addressing the immediate, the intermediate, and their long-term care needs. This plan may be done in collaboration with family and other healthcare professionals. We then assist with the implementation of the recommendations as needed. And then following that, we're able to provide wellness monitoring to make
2: sure things are going as well as they should. Right. I'm going to, Audrey, interrupt you there because I just wanted to move on to Rennie, but if I have cut you off on anything, we'll have a chance to, to go back to that in the, uh, later on. Now, Rennie, it's really the same question. Uh-huh. Please tell us more about your work as it relates to family caregiving.
4: Well, Audrey and I have been working together for years with Dr. Ashley and providing counseling support in different venues. Uh, lessons learned, an individual is almost... Always a part of a family, and individual needs almost always overlap with family needs. in my view, though the focus of my work is sort of scoped out with by this belief that each family has the potential of being and seeing themselves as part of the solution. With that in mind, at the most general level, I focus on that potential by using a case management model which can be defined as coordinating function that is designed to link clients with various service based on assessed needs. Case management, it's evolved in recognition of the fact that the fragmented and complex systems of care create formidable obstacles for older, disabled individuals and their families. There's a need for coordination of care because caregivers and chronologically ill older persons may require services from several providers. So from a practical point of view, my work with families is as a case manager. The job is to build a family team around the individual who needs care. Collaboratively, family members assess the needs of the senior, develop a comprehensive plan to support their optimum independence and welfare, and coordinate selected services if needed. Our our focus is on maintaining the well being of seniors and the peace of mind of those who care for and about them. Really, the challenge- that's
2: a very good point for me to move on to my next question because if they have peace of mind, presumably that reduces the risk of feuding, which is the topic, the difficult topic we're going to be talking about. So, Audrey, please tell us about the services you provide for families in which feuding is a problem.
3: Well, Feuding is inherent in everything we do, unfortunately. Uh, Renee has described the case management process very well, and it's really the core of what we do. Part of what we're trying to do is, is prevent or minimize the feuding from getting any bigger. Um, the, the intent of our work is to try and bring everyone together on the same page for care of their parent. And I think sometimes when you can have that at the front, then the other issues may be able to be addressed with uh, in sequence. Part of this process is including a family meeting. And I think uh, this is a, a, a critical piece. This empowers the family and allows everyone to be heard. We'll start with an agenda so everyone knows what is expected. And as we're doing this over the phone, this can be done in person or it can be long distance. Usually, better over the around a table where you can see people's faces, uh, which is certainly missing over the phone. But important that everybody is heard. It's it's having the family recognize that they have their own issues which are interfering, and sometimes if if issues cannot be resolved, then we're looking at more in-depth family counseling or mediation may be recommended, or sometimes we're uh, recommend that families seek legal advice. Or alternatively, we'll see these families after they've sought legal advice and are trying to finally get together on the same page. Part of it as well is providing education. Uh, And I think that goes a very long way in, in terms of having people not have unreal expectations, understanding what's ahead, understanding what their options are, and knowing what things cost and what the next steps will be. Um, We're we're trying to work to help families come together to make a plan of care that is manageable for the care recipient and the primary caregivers from, as you've identified, a financial and emotional perspective. When things get very nasty, and unfortunately we've seen some of uh, those situations, we've been assigned under court order to provide supervision of visits between uh, family members in order to make sure that there is no harm or undue influence to the older person or to another family member. Right. So, a little bit complicated.
2: Right, and we're going to come back to the complications later on. But, Rene, first, what about your own experience with family caregiving, whether it's personal or with what you've observed? Uh, what about these stresses that we've been talking about? Are they the sources of um the feuding that we're talking about in the way that I described, or does the do the sources of feuding lie somewhere else?
4: Well, Doctor Atherley, I before well before I was a parent, I worked with special needs families and counseling on individual needs and case management model was my my in my arsenal even then. And then in nineteen eighty four Joshua was born to Fred and myself. uh, He was diagnosed. Joshua is now 24 years old, I have to tell you that. Then I can say, looking back, it was grueling. He had an initial diagnosis of quadriplegia, cerebral palsy. Then later it was diagnosed that he was legally blind, so he was uh, endowed with two sensory impairments. And it was a 24-hour care Kind of job 24 7. As things have moved along and as we've sort of gotten our acts together, he's riding horses and playing floor hockey and has a huge friendship circle. He powers around in a, a, an electric chair, powered chair, and he's an active contributor.
2: René, I'm only going to stop because we do have to go into the break in a moment, but I just wanted to comment very quickly that um, I've often heard it said on this, um, this show that the best – helpers for family caregivers are those who have been through their own experiences with family caregiving. So that's my, just my comment on what you've just said to us. Now, as I say, it is time for us to take the break. We do have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Lally and my guests are Audrey Miller and Dr. Renee Ruta cohn You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back.
0: Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
5: The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You know I need some You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Audrey Miller and Dr. Renee Ruta cohn Our topic is family feuding. Let us now talk about the causes of family feuding and the challenges it relates. Starting with you, Audrey, what would you say are the principal causes of family feuding other than health-related problems?
3: Well, Gordon, let me start off with one of my favorite expressions, and that is, the only normal families are the families you don't know. let that sink in for a minute. I love it. That is the truth right? We all have our history. We all have our baggage. We're all born into a family that existed before us. And where we fall is up in stance. Is it nature or is it nurture? Sibline, birth order, middle child syndrome. Everyone's experiences are different. If you talk to my sister and you talk to me, you think we grew up in different households. So we see the world differently. And the the roles that children play in their families often continues into later years. For many of us, our personalities get enhanced. Well, unfortunately, that is not always a good thing, and the roles that we play in our families might also continue, along with a lot of that childhood baggage. And the childhood baggage um, cannot be understated. Often, people don't know why they started feuding, And old resentments come forward. Um, There's a a bitterness that remains, i.e., Mom liked you better. Um, Besides these old resentments, there are new resentments that uh, appear. Uh, For example, who's carrying the brunt of the caregiving responsibility? I know I live in Toronto, my own mother lives in Montreal, and my sister lives in London, England. Well, who's a closer visit away And we just had that experience with my mom ending up in emergency from falling. And uh, it was, you know, a a four-hour drive for me to be able to get there and to be able to deal with these things. So there can be resentments from from every angle. Is it the oldest child who assumes responsibility? Is it the daughter when she has a a brood of brothers? Uh, Is it the child who lives closest? Perhaps it's a child who still lives at home, even though they're living in their parents' basement and have had their own challenges in being able to launch or succeed on their own,
2: right going to stop here only because I just wanted to transfer to Rene, but we're coming back to this, um, this this important observation that we all are prone to this issue that we 're talking about, so René, what are the principal causes? in your view, of family feuding that's a rising connection with health-related problems?
4: Well, it's a convoluted answer, but let me begin. Let me say that who we are as individuals has been long in the making. And so when we are at a point of crisis with our care recipients, then all of the old stuff comes Raging back. So if you have a history of childhood, from childhood, then your anxiety or your depression, you're vulnerable for relapse and burnout. And I think that those are issues that are just far and wide. There are two siblings, uh, one disabled and one not, like I have at home here. Uneven attention to both uh, can cause that kind of resentment and jealousy that um, Audrey was talking about. And really, as the issues come closer to the end, the end-of-life care, it's a, it's a real concern for children of elderly parents. A lot of children are faced with some pretty big questions for their, their ailing parents who have had heart attacks and massive strokes and medical emergencies. The issue is how much to intervene. Do we keep them alive on a tube? Keep them alive on a respirator. Uh, do we give them medical life-saving services? The siblings will spend some emotional time together, talking over individual views, and much of the intervention that that should be used when when they're able to agree on the care for their parent. Then they can be relieved, and they can emerge with greater respect for each other and for the person who is receiving the care.
2: Still, right. family. Oops. Okay. I'm just going to say, I'd like to hold you at that point, because I want to transfer the question to Audrey. Um, we're talking about family feuding and the tensions for children, you know, and you've been, um, really talking about situations with children um, when the elderly parents are nearing the end of life. Let's, Audrey, what's your view of the pressure on children in circumstances like that and how far those circumstances contribute to feuding?
3: I I think they're tremendous, um, and it causes disharmony all around, which obviously interferes with care excellence. Part of that challenge, I think, Gordon, is something that we can help with, is that parents' wishes need to be known. And uh, we're big advocates, and we'll, I'm sure, talk about this in terms of planning ahead. Make sure people know what your wishes are um, and where these papers are kept. Who is the power of attorney? Who ultimately will speak for you when you are no longer able to speak for yourself? And do they know what you would say? That's the biggest issue for me, right? So it's it's the we don't know what to do, and then one child to the other, well, I think I know best, no, I think I know best, no, I think I know best. So it's really incumbent, I think, on the older individual, the adult, to be able to give some peace of mind to their children in advance. All right, And that's not to say everything's going to be hunky-dory from that point forward, but I think you can go a long way in terms of being able to... um, get the facts on the table, get the, the, get the action sorted, and to be able to deal with some of the frustration and, and hurt and concerns that might be prevented. I, I think the, that everybody loses when there's uh, fighting, and especially at the end of life. At the end of life, and we just dealt with this with my mother-in-law, 96, died two weeks ago, who, who wants peace at the end of her days. Right? Uh, As we all do. And we want to know that everybody's going to be taken care of. And if you have disharmony and if you have fighting, I think besides what it does to each other within the family, that older individual, that parent who might be on their deathbed, is not given the peace of mind that they need to be able to close their eyes in peace. Right. And I I think it, it hurts everybody.
2: A very powerful point, if I may say say that to you, Audrey. Rennie, um, let's talk about situations where the adults are in the immediate family and the remote family, maybe, um, over healthcare or other situations. Um, what's, your, what's your view of that? The, the, the pressures on adults in the immediate and the remote family. And obviously, when I talk about remote family, I may be talking about family that is thousands upon thousands of kilometers away. What do you think?
4: Well, I think definitely the pressures are different, but the pressure still exists. You know, whether you're far away or at your mother's or father's bedside, this recalls to me the the story of my own parents where now I have a father who's 91 and he's seven years ago, uh, very close to my mother, They over 60 years of marriage. And the whole issue of being so close just, you know, he lost perspective. He couldn't help himself and he couldn't help my mom. So, So gratefully for all of us near and far, we were able to benefit from a palliative care team that came in once, every other day, until my mother was at the end. And then we called everybody together and said, look, it's a number of days, Uh, she's got a DNR order, and we expect her to die imminently, imminently, and we were all able to come together around that, so if we speak with one voice and we plan and take advantage of the services that are around us, I think. We make life easier for ourselves.
2: Mm -hmm. DNR, you mentioned. What does that mean, Renee? Uh,
4: The do not resuscitate order. D, do not. N, R, resuscitate. And, you know, the palliative care facility where my mother was seven years ago, um, my parents had decided sometime before that that if uh, this cancer that she had was actually terminal and it was, then they would do they would not want anything um, done to keep her alive medically. And so it was a, a peaceful passing. Uh, her care and treatment were well coordinated. She had a wonderful team at home and then in the hospital. And you know, she passed. Uh, we were all in the room. We all were sitting around, and we heard her last breath and kissed her goodbye.
2: That's very powerful too. Um, I'm going back to Audrey. What about children, particularly young children, in situations such as the one that Rennie has described? What's your advice there? Should young children be present when death is imminent and expected? What do you think?
3: I think that's a very, very personal choice. Um, And it depends on the age of the child, the maturity of the child. And if it's a parent, if it's a sibling, if it's a grandparent, what's going on? It's very scary being in that room. But um, the unknown is also very scary. So I think it's a very individual um, situation that every family has to make for themselves, and perhaps they can make that with the support of a social worker at, um, at the hospital or as part of the palliative care team.
2: Right. Back to you, Renee, Ooh. on the resuscitation Um, There's been quite a lot of sort of discussion in the media about this and various things. Now, I'm afraid I can only give you uh, a very brief answer to this, but is this the sort of issue that should be left entirely to families, or are there other people who should be involved in this question of resuscitation? And as I say, I'm sorry to have to hasten you, but it's a quick answer.
3: Okay.
4: It's it's a complex answer as well, but I would say that it's a family decision but it's also a medical decision and I think uh, the family and the doctors working together can make the best decision.
2: Perfectly fair. Now we're going to go into the break because I'm never tired of saying that we have to pay the rent. This <laughs> is Dr. Gordon Alderley and my guests are Audrey Miller and Dr. Renee Ruta cohn You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back.
5: How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Catherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to Tom Says... For practical solutions that you can use in your life, whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: Are you ready to go green?
5: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you, know I
1: need someone. you are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to G at mymonami.com That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Audrey Miller and Dr. Rene Ruta cohn Our topic is family feuding. <clears throat> Let's now talk about the ways in which the challenges of family feuding are addressed. So, Rene, first, what are the main types of solutions you advocate for families who are feuding about challenges that you would say are health-related?
4: Well, you know, I, I think that no matter what uh, the, the case, health, health is a concern for, for everyone. And I think the solutions are about how to take care of oneself. I think um, respite Number one, we learned these issues and these lessons with Joshua as well as with my parents. You need to get away from it for a little while to, to become refreshed. You need to see your doctor every once in a while on a regular basis to make sure that your own health is in top form and that you are taking care of yourself. There's also psychological help out there. You know, there's the emotional help that comes from, joining perhaps an Internet um, talk show like this or um, doing a support group with an organization that is comfortable talking about loss. And I think we as a society need to do a whole lot more in making it known that it's important to talk about end-of-life issues. It's important that we normalize What the end of life is like, it's no longer a taboo subject. We're all going there. And I think that if we go there in dignity with plans, that we're far better off. And that's the kind of thing uh, I would say in terms of your question regarding the solutions.
2: Very good. Audrey, what are the main solutions you advocate for families if feuding about challenges that are not, or that are other than health related. What do you say?
3: I think communication, (coughs) not so different than what Renee is saying, um, but communication (coughs) amongst family members. It's getting everybody on the same page for the care plan. Again, not necessarily dealing with the old grievances and resentments, but looking at the here and now and the future. The use of a professional third party. I think it's critical to have someone objective Whose buttons cannot be pressed the way your own mother can press your own buttons. Yeah. Okay, no issue there. Yeah. Um, elder care providers, geriatric care managers, social workers there's a National Association of Professional Geriatric Care Managers who have a directory of um, uh, folks uh, across the states and in Canada. And it's important that it's a forum for everyone to bring their issues on the table as it relates to caregiving. Um, The hiring of that third party, it's probably best if it can all be shared, but chances are it comes out of the, uh, if the person is still capable from their own pocket, from the older person's pocket, or from uh, the POA who's handling finances. The family meeting, all right? So you've got your professionals to guide the process, and the family meeting is the time that people can express what's, bothering them as it relates to their own frustration. I can't continue doing this. Speak up, all right? There is, you're, there's no harm and there's no shame in admitting where you're having difficulties because otherwise, as Renee said, you're off to your own doctor and perhaps even needing care yourself. So I think it's very important that people speak honestly with one another and while recognizing that it can be very heated and very difficult. I'm advocating um, using a third party. It doesn't have to be a paid person necessarily. Perhaps it's a member of the clergy. Perhaps it's a doctor who mm, is uh, above and beyond and is able to have a special interest and is able to, um, to spend some time with you and the family who knows what the issues are. I'm also suggesting that people don't make promises that they can't keep. We don't know what is ahead. And to promise someone that you will always live with them or they will always be living with you in your own home is not fair to anyone. You know the expression of we plan and God laughs, something like that?
2: Yes. You know,
3: um, we don't know. And so it's very challenging to make promises that we can't, we can't keep. Um, the other big piece, I think, is education. Know what the disease process is. Uh, Sometimes part of the the feuding is is about, besides the unresolved conflicts, the unreal expectations, not ever having seen your parent not being the strong one. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with many of the diseases that we're seeing, especially a dementia, which robs the person of so much of themselves that it's very, very difficult to be witness to that. And part of the the frustration and feuding might be because there's still the hope and prayer that mom's going to get better, when in fact, that may not be the case. So I think education, knowing the system, and knowing what options are available and what things cost and, and what each decision will mean, what are the consequences of those decisions, is, um, is very, very important.
2: Let's talk about some real-life stories. Now, obviously, I don't want you either of you to betray any confidences or give any signals about who you're talking about, but please tell us about some of the people, Rene, you've met, or maybe just one family you've met in the course of your professional work. Rene?
4: Well, um, a single, solitary widower uh, with one child in New York and one child in Toronto, and feeling like the child in New York is so far away that isn't even available for emotional support. I think there are times when it's really, really important to take the time to just be together with other siblings, with your siblings. I think what we did in in this case is we looked at all of the the possible combinations where we could put people together and in touch with one another physically and emotionally, and I think that if people are um, in this, as in this case, they have the will and they have the ability to be open and um, forthcoming with their needs and concerns. As Audrey says, it's it's half a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. Audrey, same question for you. Example one or more of real life stories. No, no, no mention of the individuals, yep. but the kind of real life story in the way that René gave us one, where you draw conclusions that will be helpful to other people.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't so long ago. I was invited into the home of a. Um, I guess she was the daughter was 65 and the mum was in her 90s. And uh, we sat at the kitchen table, as we do, and we're talking about how things are going. And the adult daughter says to me, you know, everything I do, my brother undermines. I hire the caregivers, and then I turn around, and he fires the caregivers. I'm pulling out my hair, because when he fires the caregivers, she's left alone, and it's me who has to run to her. So I'm, I'm just, I don't know what to do. So she said to me, is there anything you can do to help me get along better with my brother? And I looked at her and smiled, and I said, oh, if if I could, I'd be on the Oprah show and be a millionaire. I mean, the reality is I may not change, we're not able to change your relationship, but what we're going to do is try and put you on the same page, Mm -hmm. all right, to agree on a plan of care. And in that particular case, it was... For me, it was fairly straightforward. It was about including the brother in the hiring process. So he could feel that he had a say. And she might screen the first initial resumes, but then he went to the next, and he was invited to be part of the caregiver interview. So he felt invested in who was hiring, of course with the mum there, but mum uh, had her own challenges in terms of being able to uh, communicate her wishes. But at least for these two to be able to have them participate together, share the hiring, and if there was firing to be done, let them agree on that, um, so that the sister didn't have to feel as, as frustrated. That perhaps is, a, a, is an easy, an easy one. They're not all that. Um, they're not all that easy. The other, the other, just brief story I wanted to mention, Gordon was sometimes um, the older person themselves can um, deal with their adult children, even after, even after they're dead, uh, in terms of being able to prevent some of the feuding. Um, back, to my, back to my mother-in-law. Um, as I said, she, she died two weeks ago, and while we were clearing out the house, as we're turning over the uh, pictures and we're turning over the figurines and lifting up the carpets, she had put a sticky note and attached it to each of those items. So there was no question as to who she wanted to have what. And that little simple, I called it a a grave gift, um, a a gift from Alice from beyond to her her pre-planning, her forethought, made sure that... That favorite figurine was going to go to the daughter or the son who she wanted to have it.
2: Right. She was still speaking to you, wasn't she?
3: Yes, yeah, she was. <laughs> yeah, she absolutely. Very was. good.
2: Now again, it's the time for the break. Time goes very fast on topics like this, so let's take the break now. This is uh, Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guests are Audrey Miller and Renee cohn You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice of America. America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We're coming back.
5: News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those
2: synapses in the brain firing really fast.
5: All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to Doc G at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Audrey Miller and Dr. Rene Ruta cohn Our topic is family feuding. Let's talk about the implications of family feuding for families and the social, financial, and health care systems that provide them with services. Audrey, how much of a problem does family feuding create for the social, financial, and health care systems?
3: Well, quite a bit. We've, we've talked how costly feuding is to the family itself. And this carries over into the other systems as well. Um, poor planning or planning that is stalled uh, or when wishes or decisions are not knowing and, or made in a timely manner cause delays in accessing services. So we get backlogged. I mean, we're very fortunate to have the healthcare system that we have, but we're struggling within that. The system is already overburdened. And having a, a situation become a crisis because the family can't agree on a plan of care, can often result in a crisis not being able to be avoided, and perhaps an admission into hospital, which is very costly. Uh, It's much less expensive to keep uh, an individual in their own homes with supports than to have them in a hospital bed that no one wants to be in. Um, Fighting is costly in financial terms. price of a lawyer is several hundred dollars an hour typically and uh, often a lot of the fights that we see is is over money is over uh, conflicts with the powers of attorney and money is often uh, sadly the root of it but to hire lawyers um, it it becomes very costly to the system and to the pocketbook Um, the other of course is for the person with dementia Whose wishes are being heard? I mean, I think the feuding, besides to the family and to the systems we've talked about, the medical, the support, the health care, that individual themselves, it's, it's not a person-centered approach. It's uh, whose best interest is it? So the delays are, are, uh, are difficult for, for everybody. Um, the productivity costs. Uh, a lot of the folks we deal with are employed caregivers. Um, time away from work, uh, right. time spent while on the job and not being productive. So it's, it's throughout, Gordon. It's a
2: costly business. It's a costly now, business. Now, Re- Rennie, I want to ask you the parallel question, which is how well you think the social, financial, healthcare systems handle family feuding when it's occurring um, in the kind of situations that Audrey's just been talking about. Rennie, Thank you.
4: I uh, I know that we all understand clearly that when there's a crisis and when there is conflict, systems just stop functioning. Uh, my experience is that nobody handles indecision and family feuding very well, especially on the day-to-day level. Often people, you you come across people who don't know about the experience firsthand, often you find that there are very, very serious deficiencies in family functioning. So, you know, I think the the systems are out there and I think that the job of bringing families together around personal care of a loved one is very challenging but manageable.
2: Okay. Audrey, please summarize your main points, maybe just three of them for ways to deal with or reduce family feuding. And please tell us what is on your wish list of those things. Audrey?
3: I think um, planning ahead. Planning ahead is key. Um, Get your papers in order. Um, Talk to people. Know who you want to have as your power of attorney for care and and for finance. Uh, Advance directives, funerals, estate planning, wills, on and on it goes. Uh, planning is is key and then once the plans have been made communicate talk to one another tell your your children tell your parents what you what you want Um, take the opportunity Uh, I mean most recently again talking about my mother-in-law it was a time for me to talk to my 22 year old son about what I wanted it was a little hard for him to hear it but It was an opportune time to be able to look at quality of life and all of the issues that that go along with end-of-life planning. And take care of yourself. I mean, absolutely key. We've talked about it throughout here. Um, Know what your limits are. Know what's out there. And be prepared to accept a little help um, while you're trying to look after yourself and your loved one. I guess uh, for my wish list, well, it's election time here in Ontario, haha. So, um, a few <laughs> interesting things easier access to service. I'd like to see more family doctors. I'd like to see more geriatricians. I'd like to see people being able to not have to spend days in emergency on a gurney. More choices. Um, I think the dementia wave that we're looking towards with one in three over age 85 developing a dementia is enormous. And I don't think we're prepared on that side for supports at home and in the community.
2: Right. Renée, same question for you. Um, main points to deal with reduced family feuding and tell us about your wish list. Renée, please. Thank you.
4: Well, I was looking at qualities that make good, fam- good family planners and I, I I think there are at least three. The first is goodwill between people. And that is that said, listen to one another and just beyond the hearing of the words, use your heart and your head and put, them, put all that data together. See the best in people if you can. And if you can't, get help to do so. The the second is this normalization process of what the end of life is like. We need to be doing much more proactive, preventative kinds of things, just as we've done with acute illness or illness that happens in the home. That kind of insight into that process of aging and finally dying, those are really, really important pieces. And the third, and I guess the the most challenging for us is the willingness for family members to work together and enough said about that. I, I should say that my wish list is more a commitment that I made to myself and just yesterday we hosted a brunch of my husband's siblings who range in age from 55 to 70. There are six of them in his family and anyway a few of us spoke about future plans for ourselves. The most important conclusion we reached is how important it is not to wait until a parent or disabled child has reduced control over life-stage decisions. It's vital to discuss or at least request and provide directives concerning certain eventualities that we all will face, future care, and the often, as I said before, controversial orders of DNRs and issues related to substitute decision-making. I right. think if, those, if I had my choice and it was Christmas, that's what I'd want for our
2: family. Or if you were standing for election. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, sadly, our time is, is uh, coming to an end, but I just want to say to both of you, what I've been listening to is this. Um, you speak, first of all, of people professionals who know what you're talking about because this is your field of work but you're also speaking as people who've been through the processes you're talking about and are speaking from your heart where your heart is influenced by your own experience and um, all I can say to you is I wish you every possible success in all the work you're doing because it's profoundly important now, in closing, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Please email us with comments and questions, which I'll gladly pass on to Audrey and Rene. And I want to say again to Audrey and Renee, thank you for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. And I do want to say to you that um, what I've heard and It's a while since I practiced medicine, but nevertheless, speaks to situations that I personally have witnessed. And I can only only say to you, therefore, your work at the end of life is as critical and as important as any that I've so far seen. Um, Our next episode... Of family Caregivers Unite. We'll talk about men as family caregivers. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for
0: listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com.